Well, today, open your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 5, and I want to thank Jenny for reading the scriptures for us, and I want to remind you, this is the third sermon in a series that I've titled, Allegiance. I want to remind you what allegiance means. It means loyalty or faithfulness to God, and allegiance is one of the nine traits of a maturing disciple. We have identified nine traits as a church, and this is the year in which we're leaning into what we call allegiance. Now, again, in this sermon series, I'm taking a look at four snapshots of what allegiance means, four snapshots of individuals in the scriptures, and we're taking a look at two of the snapshots which are positive and two that are negative. You remember two weeks ago, we started with Abraham, and Abraham was called by God to give the thing that was most valuable to him, and his son was the most valuable thing to him, and God says, I'm going to give a test to you. And sometimes God tests our allegiance. And God said, I'm going to test you, Abraham, and see if you love me more than you do Isaac. And of course, Abraham passed that test. And we learned that week that uh, God is oftentimes testing our allegiance in order to find out what's most important and if he's the most important uh, to us. Well, last week we were with the first negative example, and that was Solomon and his 1,000 foreign wives. And we found out last week that Solomon's heart had become divided. And any time our heart becomes divided, then our allegiance is shortly thereafter. And so uh, 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 Solomon was the negative example, Abraham the positive example, Solomon the negative example of allegiance. And this week we have another negative example, and then we'll close out the series next week with one more positive example. And of course this week is the sobering story of Ananias and Sapphira found in Acts chapter 5. Let's remember the context for this passage today. Jesus has ascended and gone to heaven. The church is in its real infancy. It's just being formed. It's just gaining some momentum. And Ananias and Sapphira are a part of that early church. And ironically, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, their names mean something in the Bible. Ananias means God is gracious and Sapphira means beautiful. And in this case, well, their names don't, their names are irony, perhaps. They don't quite match up to their names because there's anything or nothing in this passage that strikes us as either gracious or as uh, beautiful. And so they don't necessarily live up to their names. Before we dive into the passage today and explore it, I want to tell you about something that happened in Seattle a number of years ago. There was a number of bike thefts that were happening in bike shops. And it was the same MO every time. This guy would come into the bike shop. He would ask to ride one of the very expensive racing bikes. And he would drive off never to come back again. The bikes were usually in the neighborhood of five to $7,000. So these were not cheap bikes. And so the police saw this happen repeatedly. And they said, we've got to get this guy. And so out of, they took a page out of CSI and they found through some video footage that he'd been to a coffee shop nearby and they found the coffee cup that he had used. They ran that through their database, jackpot, they knew who this guy was. But they were very surprised to find out who it was because it was a 35-year-old doctor in Longmont, Washington. And it just kind of blew their categories of who would be stealing this bike. This doctor, why did he do it? Because he had so much to lose and really relatively so little to gain. And that's the story today about Ananias and Sapphira. Why did they do this? Because they seemingly had so little to gain and so much to lose. And so we're going to dive into the story today and we're going to find out that 
Anytime there is a condition around us, it can compromise our allegiance. There can be certain conditions, certain environments around us that can lead us to a compromised allegiance. And I want to disclose or discover today three conditions that can happen that can compromise our allegiance. And we'll use the passage, of course, to do that. The first condition that can cause our allegiance to be compromised is when greed entangles. When greed entangles. To understand the nature of their sin and their actions, we have to understand what happened in the previous chapter of the book of Acts. There was a buzz that was happening in the church, and this was an unusual period, obviously, of church history. It was not uncommon for people to sell land and give the gifts to the church. Why was that? Well, we think back to the early start of the church, and Peter preached a sermon in which 3,000 people trusted Christ at Pentecost. You remember that? And there's the conjecture that a lot of those people were from out of town. A lot of them stayed in order to be a part of the early forming church and to be taught. And so the church may have gone out of its way in order to care for the needs of those individuals. And so people were taking things of value. They were selling those and giving the proceeds to the church. And so this was somewhat of a common thing to do. Now, we don't know for sure that that was the reason behind it. But we know that this was a period of extreme generosity. Uh, In order to maybe understand what's going on here, we look at the last verse of chapter 4, the previous chapter. And I have that up for you here. It says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus whom the apostles called Barnabas, that's who we know him as, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And so there was this example of Barnabas, Barnabas, the encourager, Barnabas, the guy that just oozed love for other people, sells a piece of property and brings it to the church. And so there's this buzz in the church and everybody's going, Man, that Barnabas, isn't he awesome? That guy's, that guy's incredible. Can you believe what he did? And this is great. And man, the church is just humming on all cylinders. And so it's the pop. It's the buzz in the church. Now, again, what's going on with Ananias and Sapphira is that they're like, they see all that respect and that reclaim, that, uh, that acclaim that Barnabas is getting. And they're like, we'd like to be recognized like that too. And so they disclose to the church, they're too going to sell some property and give the proceeds to the church. Well, they did that, but after they looked at that big pile of cash, well, it became rather tempting. And they thought, you know, would it be that big of a deal if we just didn't give all of the proceeds? Now, I want you to notice something here, that originally they planned to give that whole amount. And, you know, again, I think that was in their hearts to give that whole amount, But as they looked at that cash pile more and more, they loved it more and more. And so they hatched a plan. And they said, you know, who will know if we just tell everybody that we gave it all, but we just hold back a little for ourselves. And so this is the the example in the Bible that's uh, an example, again, first of all, of greed. And I'm going to use a real pregnant word here, theft. This is a theft in the Bible. And again, the way I arrive at that is by the use of a single word that Luke uses in this passage. He uses the word kept back. And I know that sounds like a very weak word, and it's like, yeah, big deal. They kept some money back. But that's a very, very pregnant word in this passage. Acts chapter 5, verse 2, it says, With his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so again, you have to trust me on this. 
There is a very unique word being used here. It's only used a couple of times in the New Testament. And the word normally means to pilfer or to embezzle. So that passage might be read, with his wife knowledge, they embezzled some for themselves, or they pilfered some for themselves. And again, that's the, the, the worst word usage. Now again, there's a reason why I think that Luke chose that word. And he chose that word because it's also a rare word that's used in the Old Testament, and it's used in the Old Testament about Achan. So Luke is trying to tune us in and say, the sin in the New Testament with Ananias and Sapphira is a repeat of the sin of Achan in the Old Testament. Some of you are going, Achan, remind me. Sounds like a good name. I'm, I'm kind of with you, but I need a little refresher here. And so let me refresh you with the story of Achan. Joshua and the tribes, the 12 tribes, have now entered the land. And they are taking city after city, click, click, click. It's just like clockwork. And all of a sudden, they come upon a city that they don't take. And they all are like, what just happened? And God discloses there's a sin in the camp here. And they find out that when they went into the cities, God had said, don't take any of the plunder for yourselves. The plunder is mine. And Achan had gone in. He conquered one of the cities. He was one of the guys that was, you know, again, fighting. And he ran across this home in which there was this gorgeous coat and some silver. And he said, you know, nobody's looking here. I'm just going to go ahead and take that, put it in my bag. And he buried it under his tent. And he thought, I got away with it. Well, not the case. God disclosed to Joshua, there's somebody that sinned. And through a process of discovery, they find out that Achan is that guy. I've got this wonderful picture here from James Tussaud. He is a wonderful artist. I just love his work. And here he is, painted an image of what it might have looked like with Joshua there sitting on his chair. You know, again, they're in the field, as it were, because they're, they're fighters, they're warriors. And there's Achan coming with his hands kind of ringing and the guys around him. And they're finding out he was the guy that took and kept back. And again, the same word used here as is used with Ananias and Sapphira. He had kept back a portion of the money. And of course, you know the story. Uh, he's found out and he loses his life. He is killed by uh, the Israelites who uh, are required to take his life um, because of his sin. There are so many warnings in the Bible about the deceitfulness of wealth. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And Jesus himself even says that we can't serve money and God. Here it is, Matthew 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And that's always, again, a temptation for us, is to make money a God that's even greater than the true God. Many of you know that Bitcoin has reached a meteoric height in its value. This past week, it's fluctuated, but Bitcoin was around $40,000 per coin. There's a lot of stories about this right now, but I picked one out that I just love. And it's about a guy who had 7,500 Bitcoin, but he lost them. And I'll tell you how he lost them in a second. If you run the math, that's a cool uh, $300 million. So again, he loses $300 million of Bitcoin. Here's how it happened. He lost the, the Bitcoin because it was stored electronically uh, through cryptography. It was stored on his hard drive on his computer and he accidentally threw the hard drive away. So $300 million is, is, is in the landfill. Well, here's what he found out. 
he found out that the city stores all of the garbage in the, the dump area on a grid. So theoretically, if he knew the day that he threw that away, then he could look at this grid system that the city holds the rights to, and he could go and dig up his hard drive in the dump. And so he was, you know, he was so into this idea and so wanted this idea that he would even give the city $75 million if they would disclose the grid area and let him go dig it up. So far, their answer has been no. We'll see if he raises the price and maybe they change their mind. But again, this is the lengths that we'll go to in order to try to uh, gather wealth. Now, hear me. I'm not saying this man is sinning by trying to go and rediscover that hard drive. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. But I'm using that as an example of just what lengths we'll go to in order to be able to try to get a fortune. And many times that, that condition of wanting that so much leads us into the area really of, of greed. I love what uh, some have said. They said, you know the condition of a Christian's heart by looking at their checkbook. And now, of course, checkbooks are out. You don't write checks anymore. So now we say, you know the condition of our heart by looking at our debit card. And what our debit card shows is what we value. It's what we care about. It's the things that matter the most to us. When greed entangles, then allegiance is lost. Allegiance to God is lost. So greed entangling is a very specific condition that can be very caustic to our faith. All right, number two, the second condition that can cause our allegiance to be compromised is when image is everything. For those of you who lived for a little while, you know that phrase, image is everything. And that phrase was made very famous by a guy who was a tennis player, and his name is Andre Agassi. Everybody remember Andre Agassi? Raise your hand if you remember him as a tennis player. Here's what you may need to be reminded about. It was 1989, and Canon cameras came to Andre Agassi and said, we want you to be our poster child, and so we want you to have a commercial in which you step out of a white Lamborghini, you look at the camera in your washed, uh, acid-washed jeans, and you say, image is everything. And so he did that. And, of course, that was a great hit, and we find out that it was one of the most famous sayings of all of the 90s. Uh, as he goes on in his career, he gets more extravagant and more extravagant. He starts to play in no longer just some, some normal tennis attire, but now he's in pink spandex, and, and we notice that his hair is you know, all spiked out with the pink bandana around the top. Over time, he was losing his hair and even played in a wig. We found out later that, you know, image really was that important. He played in a wig. And, of course, Andre Agassi is the poster child, again, for images everything. And perhaps he is more known, actually, for that ad campaign than he even is for his own tennis career. Ananias and Sapphira also lived on the adage that image is everything. Image became the most important thing to them. And Ananias and Sapphira were never required to give anything at all. They could have kept back all of that land and kept the whole money for themselves, and it would not have been a sin. They could have also you know, sold the land and given half of it to the church, and that would not have been a sin. That would have been okay. So they were never required to do anything but it's when they decided that they were going to say they were doing one thing, but then do another, that's where really the problem was. 
And here's the deal. They wanted to appear generous without the financial sting of actually being generous. They wanted to appear generous. They just didn't want to have that sting of being generous. And so they wanted the image of generosity. It's, it was important to them to attempt to convince people that they were somebody that they were not. And of course, that can also happen with us. We can want to appear more godly or more righteous or more generous than is actually what is in our hearts. And there's examples of that for us, like creating an impression that we're people of prayer when we're not. Making it look like we don't have any problems in our life when we actually do. Promoting the idea that we're generous when we're actually we're miserly. Uh, needing to remind others of how important we are or hiding a known sin and never acknowledging it to anybody. Those can also be times in which we're portraying something that we're really not when image for us at that point is everything. You know, I'm very surprised that God did not strike me dead during my first or second year of being a Christian. I was on the college campus and I met my, uh, my campus director at that time and I remember talking to him and he said, Brian, you know, kind of how's it going? How's your spiritual life? And, you know, by that time, I, I kind of knew what the, you aspired for the answer to be. And I was learning how to do this thing called a quiet time. And I was trying to have a quiet time every day. And, you know, some days it was just sweet and other days it was just a labor. And, you know, honestly, again, I, I was struggling at times with that. And I remember my words to him. And I think my exact quote to him was something like, you know, I think I'm spending probably about two or three hours a day in quiet time. And I remember the smirk on his face, kind of like, you know, really? And I remember my own heart just cut me at that point in which I was like, that was just a bold-faced lie. There's no way you're doing that. And, you know, it, it was just at that moment that it was just like, oh, I, you know, why, why are you doing that? Why are you trying to be somebody that you're not? Ananias and Sapphira were trying to paint themselves in a positive light. And many times we do the same thing. But when we say something that's not true about ourselves well, then a death begins to occur in our own lives. And perhaps a death, in some ways, starts to occur in the community, too. We try to have the mask of adequacy. We try to make sure everybody knows we've got it together. Hey, how are you doing? Oh, fine, never been better. How's the family? Super awesome. And we're in the background. You know that's not true. And we portray something that is not true about us. And so many times, people are smart. You know, people dial that in. People know that's what's going on in your life. One of my kind of favorite stories, sad story, uh, happened when Jonathan was in the fifth grade and he had a little friend from school. And we noticed that every time this kid would come over, he would always tell these whoppers. I mean, they were big ones. And one of our favorite stories, we kind of still remember it to this day, is he told us in explicit detail how he had been attacked by a shark. And it, it, was, it was just like, really? I mean, you know, we're, we're pretty smart people here. You know, show us the mark and we want to see it. And it was just like we knew that this young little boy, he, he, was, he was struggling. He was trying to puff himself up because there was something underneath that was not whole in him. And it just made us sad for him because it made us wonder really about his home life. When image is everything, then our allegiance with God is compromised. And in fact, the gospel is compromised too. Because the gospel is not about our great image. The gospel is about God's great image. And anytime we try to portray ourselves as having that image, instead of God being the one that has that image, we run the ship aground and we've got some real troubles. Well, there's one more I want you to see today. The third condition that can cause our allegiance to become compromised is when lies abound, is when lies abound. And 
they're both caught. Ananias and Sapphira are caught in the very same lie. It's very evident that they've had collusion together. They've been carefully scripting their story with one another. And I want you to look at Peter's response to both of them. It happens in separate parts because remember, uh, he, he rebukes Ananias and he dies. And then Sapphira comes in three hours later and he questions her and she dies. So again, this is three hours apart, but here's his response to them. Verse four, Peter says to Ananias, you've not lied to man, but to God. And to Sapphira, he says, but Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? And so in both instances, he's saying, you know, you're just not lying to us, but you're lying to God. You're lying to the Holy Spirit here. And there's real consequences of that. And the act of deceit uh, threatened to stop the victorious progress of the church. The church is going great guns. It's all happening. Awesome. Here we are going. And all of a sudden, this thing happens, and it's like a wet blanket right across the, the, the top of the church. Ananias and Sapphira lie about money, but let's face it, there's many other things that we can lie about, many other things. It was a beautiful day, and four teen girls decided that they were going to skip school and go in late and just go on a little ride together. Well, they arrived to the class, and the teacher greeted them, and they said to the teacher, sorry, teacher, we all got a flat tire on the way to school today. And it looked like the teacher accepted you know, that as, okay, hey, welcome, and you know, glad you're here. And then she said, well, since you missed the quiz that was this morning, I'll ask you to take that now. And so each one of you sit in four corners of the classroom. And go ahead, get your pencils out here. I've got to get a piece of paper out. I've just got one question for you. The question for your test today is, which tire? You know, I mean, a smart teacher here, a smart teacher that's saying, we're going to get to the bottom of this. And I think what we need to remember is that lying does not just affect us. Lying affects our family. Lying affects our community. Lying even affects our society. And my parents, I never forget this, but my parents always said, Brian, we can put up with almost anything, but what we can't put up with is lying. If you've done something, then tell us, because you'll get in bigger trouble by telling a lie and trying to dig a deeper hole there than just by telling us honestly what you've done. We can overcome almost anything, but that aspect of lying is something we cannot overcome. And lying has the effect of not just destroying, again, our allegiance, but potentially even destroying our community. The effects of the Spirit is evident of what happens as a result of this episode in the church's lives. And it's found in verse 11. It says, Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about the events. I bet great fear seized the church. Boy, you find out that happens, and that's a wake-up call. That's smelling salt right there. And so again, I'm sure that led the whole church to a whole lot of confession, and everybody's getting right as a result of that. And the question is, why was God so severe? Well, this was a pivotal time in the early church. Hypocrisy would perhaps be a greater detriment to the church than almost any other sin. And someone said that if God had the same standards of judgment today as he did back at the early church, that we would just park a hearse outside for every service. And after the offering, uh, we would say, would the doorkeepers come home, uh, forward and collect the bodies? I mean, you know, that, that would be the kind of thing if it was still like this today. And so, again, immediate consequence of, of that sin and that time. And the question is, is, is God gone soft? I mean, has God gone soft on judgment? I mean, what's going on here? 
Um, what's going, is, God, you know, is God the same as he was at that time? Galatians 6, 7 is one of my favorites. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And so the story of Ananias and Sapphira is one that requires some sobering honesty for all of us. We fear God, and therefore we go on guard regarding the greed, which can become debilitating in its effects upon us, the image that threatens to portray us for somebody that we're not, or the lying which can so easily destroy us and our community. And if we're honest with each other, we say, you know, we're tempted in all these ways. But we find our sufficiency in Christ and who we are in Christ. And in Christ, it allows us more easily to give up the earthly for the eternal. It allows us to freely and wholly live with one another. May the love of Christ, may the allegiance that we have for Christ be the thing that is the anchor today for our identity and for our loyalty to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for positive and negative examples in the scriptures. And Ananias and Sapphira will go down in all of history as ones who uh, had a sobering wake-up call for the church because the actions that they thought were so innocent and so hidden were not from you and were not from the Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, may we live more with that as the reality that Anything that we're tempted to do, uh, you say it. You say it very clearly. It's going to be shouted from the rooftops. Don't think that it's going to be done in quiet. It's going to be shouted from the rooftops. And may, Lord, that be a sobering reminder to all of us. Boy, do we want our allegiance to be solely for you. We pray, Lord, that you would continue with the power of your Holy Spirit to get us to that spot where that's true about us. What's true on the inside is also true on the outside. We love you. We follow the one who did it perfectly, Jesus. And we confess that we are needing him every day in order that we might follow in his footsteps. This we pray in Christ's name, amen.